Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. A few years ago, our daughter Kate gave me a dog-eared paperback she'd read for a class in college. On the cover is a photograph apparently taken from underneath a boardroom table. We see four identical briefcases set next to four identical chairs and four pairs of legs in identical creased gray trousers, but only three pairs of shiny black shoes. Two of those gray trousered legs are sprouting from fuzzy orange lion head slippers. The book is titled The Pursuit of Attention. It was first published in 1979 by a sociologist named Charles Derber. Maybe you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but some book covers can be judged to be way, way better than others, don't you think? Have you ever considered your life in terms of attention? From whom do you seek it? To what and to whom have you been taught to give it? Whom do you dismiss or ignore? Have you ever felt like you wasted too much of your attention on too many of the wrong things at the end of a day? Or maybe I should ask when the last time you didn't feel at least a little bit like that. At the end of my life, it's not too much of an overstatement to say, I think I just want to have given most of my attention mostly to matters and relationships worthy of this precious gift that each of us receives a new bundle of from God each day we wake up in this world. In the fourth chapter of John, Jesus gives away more of his attention to one person than he does anywhere else in all of the Gospels. It might have caught your attention when you opened your order of service this morning to see that the Gospel takes up more than a page. This is what the lectionary does to us as Lent goes on, so no judgment if you had to pull out your phone and check a few emails while Jim was reading. But the length of this conversation is part of its message. At noon, in the Samaritan city called Sychar, resting from his journey at Jacob's well, Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman for a long, long time. Maybe you already know some of the reasons why Jesus shouldn't have been talking to this woman at all, but it's worth laying them out before we get to anything particular these two people say to each other. First, she's a woman. Barbara Brown Taylor, who I can't wait to have in this pulpit again in a week and a half, says women weren't just less than liberated in Jesus' day. Women weren't allowed to worship with men, whose morning devotions included the prayer, Thank God I'm not a woman. True story. Some especially pious men were known as blind and bruised because they would close their eyes when they met a woman in public, even if it meant walking into a wall. Barbara also points out that this woman was probably drawing her water at noon because she'd been shunned even by the other women who would have gathered at the well in the cool of the morning. We'll learn why that was probably so in a minute. She was also a Samaritan before the adjective good got forever hitched to the term in a parable. To religious purists, Samaritan would have meant something like half-breed heretic. 
And as the conversation that never should have happened gets going, we learn of the likely reason this woman might have been shunned even by other Samaritan women. She's had five husbands so far, and she's currently shacking up with somebody else. This woman would have stood out like a pair of orange lion slippers in a row of respectable black Oxfords as someone Jesus shouldn't have given even a sidelong glance of his attention to. But he does, doesn't he? He gives her a whole lot of his attention. Let's see how it goes. What we know from the text is that Jesus was tired from the morning's walk. He was probably thirsty. Maybe he was thirsty enough to risk asking this woman for water, but if actual water was what he was in need of, you wouldn't think he'd let the conversation drift off into some metaphorical spring gushing up into eternal life, would you? No, this seems like genuine, sustained attention, doesn't it? But knowing what we know about the woman, the quality of her attention may be even more remarkable to us than Jesus's. Maybe she's been shunned and diminished and ignored for so many different reasons that she's got nothing left to lose. But because, or in spite of all that, she stands toe-to-toe with Jesus, doesn't she? When he asks her for a drink, she doesn't avert her eyes or mumble or slink away. She also doesn't politely avoid how many norms are being violated in his request. Quite the opposite. She names them right out loud. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Then Jesus goes into the gushing spring of living water bed. But in doing so, I don't think he's evading the here and now. He's adding yet another dimension to this conversation that never should have happened. Not only is he going to ask this woman for water, he's going to talk to her about the deepest mysteries of his mission as well, more than he will tell any of his disciples when he calls them. I love the way the woman stays grounded in the real. She says, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus has given her his full attention, and she has given him back the gift of her own. Not with evasions, or by pretending she understands something she does not. She stays engaged, because I think she actually wants to hear what he has to say, and receive what he might have to offer. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty, or have to keep coming here to draw water. It's particularly fascinating to me to read this story on the heels of the story of Nicodemus last week, isn't it? The religious leader with all kinds of power and authority at stake, he comes to Jesus at night. This Samaritan woman with nothing to lose talks to Jesus under the bright noonday sun. But both of these prove that they actually want the truth from Jesus, not just confirmation of what they already believe, when they admit their confusion and stay present to him with their attention. Each of them is showing each of us what truthful attention can look like. The Samaritan woman doesn't look away, even as the story wends its way through her five marriages and her sixth lover, as it names the differences, different ideas Samaritans and Jews have about where to worship and their common hope for Messiah, the anointed one who, in the woman's words, will proclaim all things to us. To which Jesus says, 
I am He, the one who is speaking to you. And so his self-disclosure continues with the one he's not supposed to tell anything to at all. Then the disciples return, and they are everything the woman is not. Or rather, the woman is everything the disciples are not. The disciples, they're predictably offended that Jesus is speaking to her, but they say nothing. The men clam up, avert their eyes, fill the scene with the awkward silences that she refuses to be satisfied with. The woman, once again in contrast, leaves her jar at the well to proclaim right out loud, come and see a man who saw me for who I am and still paid me more clear-eyed attention than anyone ever has in my whole life. Could we learn to look at each other like this? Could we learn to look at the stranger, the sinner, the heretic, the outsider we've been conditioned to ignore, or worse? Could we learn to pay attention to the likes of these, just as Jesus and this woman paid attention to each other in spite of everything? I think we can. A few weeks ago, I got an email from someone who's been a faithful Calvary parishioner for decades. She got out of her car one Sunday. She saw a man on the sidewalk who was growing increasingly angry. His muttering got louder and louder until he was almost shouting when our facilities director, manager, Richard Hendricks, walked up to the man, called him by name, asked him what was wrong, affirmed his anger, and the two walked off together chatting calmly. Later in church, the parishioner sought Richard out, commented on what she'd seen, and he nonchalantly said something about de-escalation as if it's all in a Sunday's work. The email closed with the mention that there were other milder incidents of the sort we're probably accustomed to in a downtown Memphis church, and then said this, during my drive home, I realized I'd experienced a certain shift in my perspective, an ability to see most everything in a different and for the moment better way. I even felt physically lighter. I was moved by the email, which I got permission to share. The event itself was a result of Richard's carrying out this de-escalation training Christine Todd and Bill Etnire made available to our staff and volunteers and ushers and guards and whatsoever. But I suddenly realized that de-escalation assumes the kind of attention we pay to the world can change the world, including the world of a curious, open-hearted onlooker at times. If the attention we pay is mostly judgment, concerned with self-justification for ourselves while we make sure those other people get what we think they deserve, well, we know how people like the Samaritan woman and that man on the sidewalk will usually fare. But it is possible to learn how to pause before we respond to the world in the ways we've been conditioned to respond and choose a different way. We can learn to give someone our gentle attention, like Richard did that day, instead of immediately trying to set them straight. Friends, I want to draw as bright a line as possible between these experiences, ordinary experiences at Calvary, and the way Jesus and a Samaritan woman paid attention to each other a long, long time ago. There were systems and stories in place set up to determine how they were supposed to see each other. 
but they refuse to grant those systems and stories power. Likewise, our world has conditioned us to respond to the Samaritan woman in our midst with things like judgment and punishment if we notice her at all. But over and again, aren't judgment and punishment precisely what Jesus sets aside to pay a different kind of attention to his world? If you woke up into your life again today, God has granted you another basket of attention. Whether we have five more minutes or 50 more years of it is probably not ours to know. But so many more lives than we can imagine might be affected by the kind of attention we pay them. So, Jesus and one brave woman ask us, what will determine how and to whom you will give the rest of your life's attention away? If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.